This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Travis Bronner. And so today I get to take the baton and run with it. And uh, the title of today's message is one simple word, why? It's why. It's a simple interrogative uh, with profound implications. The other interrogatives, the who, what, when, where, how, are pretty straightforward. And they, they tend to just be factual, right? We just need the facts. But when you get to why, it requires an explanation. And we find that, that young kids are professionals at this question, aren't they? We have a four-year-old in our home, and he is the ultimate professional at this question right now. Why? Because you, you, you tell them to do something, and the, re, the, the response you get is why. And you give an answer, and the response you get is why, and why, and why, and it can wear you out. An example, he may say, Dad, can I go outside and play? No, not right now. Why? Well, because it's getting late, it's getting a little dark, and it's almost your bedtime. Why? Well, because you need to get some sleep. Why? Well, because you see that the more time you spend in stage four deep sleep, your parasympathetic system can work to heal your physical body. And the more REM cycles you go through, then the more your brain can organize your thoughts and your inputs from the day so that tomorrow your brain can be refreshed and ready to go again. Why? And we finally end up at the, the answer to end all questions because I said so. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it doesn't matter. This usually doesn't fly. It doesn't go over very well. But kids can ask some, some very difficult questions that we don't have very good answers to. And we can't just say, because I said so. And sometimes they'll ask hard questions like this one. Why is there evil in the world? And this is a question that we as adults even struggle with. And we may be asking the Lord, Why? 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 Am I having to deal with so much stuff right now? Why are there hard things that are going on in my life? And we find ourselves asking questions. Why? Why? And I think about this. I think of the last hymn that we just sang. And I think about the author and all that he was going through of that last hymn, H.G. Spafford and losing his whole family. And I think of the struggles that a lot of us are dealing with in our church family right now, asking the questions, why? Why this? Why now? Why the timing of what's going on? Asking some hard questions. Why? And the answer to the question, why is there evil in the world? It's very simple. The answer is because of sin. That's why there's evil in the world. And so what should you ask then as a good four-year-old? Why? Let's look to Genesis. Haven't you read, right? In Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that is a a death that would be a physical death, but also a spiritual death in separation from God in our right relationship with him. Right? But, But look what it says. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that is how evil entered the world. And that's the answer to the question. Why is there evil in the world? And that's not the point of what we're really going after today. That's laying a groundwork for a lot of our discussion, though. And see, today, we want the question to be a little bit more introspective kind of an examination of ourselves, looking in the mirror and asking ourselves, why, 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 over and over, drilling deeper. And so the ultimate question we're trying to answer of ourselves is this, why do you say and do the things you say and do? It's a hard question, and you can keep after it. Why, why, why? 
And another way you might, might see this question is this. Explain yourself. Or, or this one. We've asked our kids this one. And if you're like me, you've had to ask yourself this question many times as well. What were you thinking? Like I have that thought after something comes out of my mouth or I do something. What were you thinking? And what's the usual answer to this question? I wasn't. <laughs> because it comes naturally. That was just in there. Right? And so what we're looking for is the driving force or the motivating factor behind our words and our actions. And what we're going to do is start surface level today and peel back the layers and drill down into the deeper why, why, why. But first, we're going to start with what I call the primary why, surface level. And I'm going to go through some examples of things that we say and things that we do, and it's just that, just the obvious, the surface level reasons why we do and say the things that we, we say and do. The first is to to eat and drink. It's very obvious. I eat because I'm hungry. I drink because I'm thirsty. I have to do both so that I can survive, right? Pay bills. Pay taxes. I want to pay bills so that I can keep the electricity on. I pay taxes so I don't go to jail. (laughs) And and I I racked my brain for a political joke, and I couldn't do it. I'm leaving that up to Ted, so we're going to move on from (laughs) Work. Why do I go to work? Again, this is Ted's wheelhouse right, right here. Why do I go to work? Uh, go to work so that I can earn money to pay bills and to put food on the table. Why do I make a sale? Yes, if that's sales is part of your job, but I make a sale because that is how I'm going to earn money. How about perform? We have a lot of performers around, right? Singing, dancing, acting, comedy, ventriloquist, you name it. All kinds of different performers. And why do you perform? It may be your job, But you do it to entertain. So entertainment is the why. That's why you perform. Why do you go to school, young people? Because my parents make me, right? (laughs) No, you go to school because you want to get skills and knowledge so that you can be an active participant in society later on. Why do we compete? Any of you ever been accused of being overly competitive? Yeah? Come on, Dad. Raise your hand. (laughs) Okay. Some of us are more competitive than others, but there's a tendency to just want to compete, to want to, to try to win. And, and some of you, like in sports or like game nights, and when you think of game night, some of you are like, I don't really like game night, especially with this person or this couple, because they're overly competitive and I don't want to participate with them. And some of you are like, no, game night's awesome. I'm going to go and we're going to win. You're the ones the other ones don't want to play with. <laughs> But we like to compete. Many of us like to compete at least to some level just to, to, to get that competitive energy out. That's why. Teach. Why do we teach? Because we need to pass on skills and knowledge to the next generation to be able to have a functional uh, society and culture, right? Why do we discipline? Because we're tired of all the questions why. <laughs> no, we discipline because we want to correct behavior so that it can go well with our children, that the behaviors that they had when they were three, four years old don't continue into their teen years. Why? Uh, there, there are some things that, even at the surface level, can be good or bad, and we can acknowledge it and recognize it right away. Like paying a compliment. Pay a compliment, it, it, it can be because I know this person would like to hear this nice thing about themselves, or because I'm trying to get something from them in return, or earn favor with them. Or criticize. I know this can be constructive for them, or I'm trying to bring them down a level trying to tear them down to serve last week was all about service and sweet spot there can be different reasons that we serve someone that we can serve in church or even outside of church that we serve that we see a need and we're taking care of it or that i'm looking for something in return 
So you see, these are the surface level reasons when we just look at the things that we say and the things that we do throughout our days that are pretty obvious. But again, we want to start peeling back the layers and looking deeper into ourselves for the reasons why. Why? And I call these our secondary why. The deeper reasons. What is it in there that's, that's, that's driving you? What are the motivating factors? And these tend to come naturally. And this can be a little uncomfortable to think about, to pray through, to walk through. We would ask that you just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you uh, as he would this morning and work through you and anything that uh, he sees fit. But we're going to talk about uh, some earthly whys. Because of our sin nature, we tend to default to these reasons for our words and for our actions. I'm going to start with the first one, which is position. And by position, I mean prestige, control, recognition, popularity, position in society, at work. Look at 1 John 2.16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride, that's a big one, boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. It is from the world. Pride tends to be at the root of us uh, looking for a certain position in life and in our family, in our church, or wherever. So you kind of have this almost deeper reason of pride that drives us for position, that drives us uh, into the things that we say and the things that we do. And this can happen at work. It can happen in ministry. It can happen almost anywhere. And last week we said it, say it again today, that, that Jesus wants for you to descend into greatness. Jesus wants for you to descend into greatness. You see, leadership or positions of leadership are not positions of authority necessarily, but they're positions of service. Next is possession. And, and the thing about possessions I want to I clarify is, is that possessions in and of themselves are not evil. They're not wrong. And so we, we look at 1 Timothy uh, 6.10. We, we reference this scripture a lot. I want to read it directly today. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Not money is a root of all sorts of evil. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Have any of you noticed that the more stuff that you have, the more stuff can break? <laughs> many griefs, right? The more stuff you have to deal with. And that's, that's what the, the love of money or possessions, money for, for the desire of possessions. And I want to work through a few definitions this morning as we, as we talk about possessions and that possessions in and of themselves are not necessarily evil. We're going to start with the first one is greed. Greed says, I want something and my joy depends on it. And then there's envy that's kind of like greed, but it's a little bit different. It says, I want something and I'm upset that you have it and I don't. That's a little more outward. The envy is pointed a little more outward. And then there's blessing. I'm grateful to have something, and I hope you get it too. That's what blessing is. Blessing is. There's, there's a litmus test that we can put on this as well. If I have something that's a blessing and it gets removed from me, it was still a blessing that I had it. I don't lament that it's been removed from me. I don't lament that you still have it and I don't envy, but it was still a blessing. How many of you does this picture make nervous? And if your phone's like mine, the red on the battery means that you're at or below 10%. Does that make anybody nervous? We, uh, we, we have different uh, kind of battery behaviors in our family, if you will, um, different, different approaches to battery. We have some that will be at 98%, and they're going to go seek out the closest charger they can find to plug in to get back to 100% as quick as they can. Even at 100%, they might still say plugged in. 
of some that will be at 2% and be sitting by 10 chargers that are plugged in and will still not plug in. And those of you that like to plug in, no matter what, are thinking, what do you, how, how can you not plug in? We have a lot of different attitudes towards battery. And I want to use the battery illustration to talk about greed, envy, and blessing. Greed. I'm at 10%, and I'm not going to be happy until I'm at 75%. That's what's going to bring me joy. Envy. I'm at 10%, and it's frustrating to me that you're at 75%, and I'm at 10 Blessing. I'm at 10% and I'm good with my 10%. I think it's great that you're at 75%. I used to be at 75%. Now I'm at 10. Maybe someday I'll make it back to 75. (laughs) But either way, I'm blessed with my 10%. And the thing we have to be careful about is if we start letting greed and envy be the why for our words and our actions and our driving, motivating force, we can really start to lean back on this word called deserve. I deserve. Entitlement would be another word. But I deserve. And Carrie and I, a long time ago in our marriage and our life together, we, we acknowledged, and this has made things, this word deserve, not have such an effect, that when we start with Scripture in Romans and in Genesis, we understand that the only thing that every single one of us can say we, we deserve is death. That's what we start with. The wages of sin is death. And then that we just read from Genesis that you will surely die. That's the only thing we can say we deserve for sure. So when we all start making our list of things that we deserve, I deserve this. And this doesn't have to be just possessions, not just material recognition, respect, notoriety, reward, accomplishment, promotion. I deserve this. We start filling in the blanks. I deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve this. When we remember and place at the top of that list, I deserve death. Anything after that is gravy. May we remember that. When, when we contend towards greed and towards envy, it's a driving force of our words and of our actions. So now when one of the kids is in the back of the car and they say, hey, Dad, I'm at 5%. I should get the charger. My answer is now, you should get death. <laughs> They're like, that's kind of harsh, Dad. It's in the Bible. <laughs> and you should read it. So be careful about the word deserve. Next is anger and frustration. Anger and frustration. What we find with anger and frustration is is generally rooted in unforgiveness. And if you're harboring unforgiveness against someone or a group or an organization or whatever, you got to know that that person, that group, that organization has long since forgot about that offense. And it's you that's harboring this anger and this frustration. It tends to be in there. And the problem with it is it causes us to react to things, especially with that person, that group, that organization. And instead of reacting, we should be responding in ways that glorify the Lord. But our reactions tend to be different. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been at lunch with coworkers or friends and someone spills their big glass of ice water right on your lap? Right? You know the feeling. And you jump up quick, and your response is to, to you know, brush off the water, and they're saying, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so clumsy of me. And you're like, Hey, it's good. We're good. You know, it's so hot outside, it'll cool me off anyway. Right? You're making light of it. Now, when you're at a meal with your family, there may have been a fight, may have been some frustration, arguing over the phone charger in the car before. Someone spills their water on you. What do you do? Jump up, brush it off, and you give them that stare as if it's going to do anything. And the words that come, what were you thinking? How, what, what, what are you thinking? What's the deal? Look at the two reactions. Just simply because we're angry and frustrated or we're not. It tends to cause us to react. And we do that 
in all types of situations. In, in, in sports, we call it the flop, right? The flop. This is what a flop looks like. An overreaction. My, my son Jameson loves these, and he'll send them to me every now and then. This is our favorite one. It's an overreaction. Like someone, someone that has offended us or done something to us, we completely overreact. Some, I could watch this all day. It's funny. <laughs> it's so exposing too, isn't it? And yet we do that. We flop with people all of the time. We flop. We overreact. Proverbs 19. Let's move on from that, please, quickly. Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense, to not harbor that bitterness and that anger, not let that be the why for your words and your actions. Next is guilt. Any guilt-prone people, guilty, kind of guilty nature in here? Uh, you, you don't want to raise your hand. Am I doing something wrong by raising my hand? If you are, these make you nervous, don't they? These are the security gates at the exit to a store. And I do this too as I'm, as I'm walking out and I've got my bag at Best Buy and my receipt that I'm going like this, walking through the gate and going, please don't go, please don't go off, please don't alarm. Because even if it goes off, you know, people don't know that. They're just like, oh, this guy just shoplifted. And that's like, that's like a guilty nature. Or how about this when uh, someone that you know, a friend, family, coworker, whoever, is clearly in a bad mood when you meet up with them and your first thought is, what did I just do? Right? Okay, guilt-prone people, you need to hear Ephesians 1-7 when it comes to your faith and your grace that you have received. In, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. But sometimes guilt can come out in our words and our actions and the reasons that we do things. And, and later in Ephesians, Paul writes that it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. And so we can find ourselves, maybe because of our past, trying to work out our faith through works. But guilt is not the proper driver of our words and our actions. And if God's opinion of you is that you are redeemed, what about the opinion of other people? That's where we move on to the next one, approval. The approval of others. We look at Galatians 1.10. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This one, I believe, is one that can really come out on social media as we're criticizing or as we're complimenting and wanting to make it very clear to people uh, uh, what we believe so that we can earn approval of people or groups or different things. We can do a lot of maneuvering of approvals online. And this one also can be very exhausting because you're never going to please all of the people all of the time. And sometimes in our sinful nature, that is what drives our words and our actions. And you need to know when it comes to guilt and approval, we tend to think of these as nice people, right? It tends to be the guilt-prone people, the, the, the people-approving people that come across as nice people. And so we kind of think, well, yeah, that, I, I guess that's a wrong reason to drive your words and your action. But you need to know it's just as, as wrong and just as missing the mark of a reason for your words and actions as greed and as anger. It is. It can be exhausting. And the last is comfort and laziness. This I kind of think of as, as a reason or a driver of our words and actions maybe that we don't do or don't say because it's our, I'm really comfortable with where I am right now. And for me to address this issue with this person is going to be a lot of work relationally and otherwise. And so our comfort and laziness sometimes can drive our words and our actions. And so as we stand in front of the mirror of reflection, we say, why? Why is it that these things come out of me? 
that, that these words and these actions are driven by all of these things and why? And the answer is simply because of sin. Why sin? Because evil entered the world. And it is my nature that I'm redeemed through Christ, but it still tends to try to come out. And so what we want to do now is turn the page. We want to reflect on the ultimate why. The ultimate why, which is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And for that specifically, we're going to look at Colossians 3.17. And Carolyn read this from the front a couple of weeks ago. And so clearly to me, it's kind of a sacred echo here right now. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, your words and your actions... Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.17, the ultimate why. Christians, especially those that have been believers and followed Christ for many, many years, I want to warn you against another driving force. And it could be uh, the driving force of it's the way that we've always done things. It's the things that I've always done. And, And you can have... Uh, all of the things that you do and all of the things that you say right, according to Scripture even. But your why could be wrong. And Paul addressed, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter 2 addresses this to the church at Ephesus when he says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So in other words, you're doing all the right things. You're saying all the right things. But I have this against you. He calls them out, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Their doctrine was in the right place, but their heart was in the wrong place. Their why was wrong. You see, they had all of the other interrogatives, the who, what, when, where, how. They had it correct, but the why, they were off. If you address the why, the ultimate why, the Colossians 3.17, reason for your words and your actions, the others tend to take care of themselves pretty well. They come pretty easily, the who, what, when, where, how. Jesus is more concerned about the why than he is about the rest. Really what we're talking about today is worship. Worship, which is one of the five purposes of the church, one of the five purposes of the individual Christian. Um, And when we talk about worship, we worship with music here before uh, the sermon every Sunday. It's part of our act of worship. We also worship uh, when we give. Uh, of our tithes and offerings. We were, there are people worshiping right now, taking care of the kids and doing other ministries. Uh, there are people worshiping in many different ways. Worship simply is acknowledging God for who he is and what he has done for us. That's what worship is. Acknowledging God for who he is and what he has done for us. And so now, what I want to do is apply this ultimate why, this act of worship, to realize that everything you say or do, your words and your actions, everything can be an act of worship. Let everything you do be in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I'm going to go through that same list we went through earlier, where it was a very surface level, and it can seem very simple, obvious reasons why we do things, but now we understand that it's important to peel back. If there's a deeper, wrong, evil, sinful reason that is driving us, it's important that we replace that with the ultimate why, with God's why for our words and for our actions. First is to eat and drink. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, we can kind of get in a habit and complacency of praying before meals, but I believe that that's an important practice. But it's important for us to remember the why. Because when we eat and when we drink, we can do it as unto the Lord, as an act of worship. How about paying our taxes? Not just to avoid going to jail. Mark twelve seventeen says, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We are to be subject 
to the government. Settle down. We are to be subject to the government, and unless the government tells us to do something Scripture tells us not to, or the government tells us not to do something that Scripture tells us to, we are subject to the government. And we can do that as as unto the Lord as we are subject to the government. We pay our bills. According to Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. When you pay your bills, think about this. The next time, does anybody still write checks to pay your bills? Okay, some of you. When you click pay now or when you schedule it and you see it come out of your account, whatever, on your electric bill, I want you to consider this. Thank you, Lord, that I can pay this electric bill so that I can have air conditioning when it's 100 degrees out this August. As unto the Lord, everything can be an act of worship. When we go to work, beyond the fact that we need to work to earn money to pay our bills and to put food on the table, but as unto the Lord. Colossians three twenty three and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your, uh, the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It is an act of worship for you to go to work and to work heartily. When you make a sale, salespeople, and I say salespeople, your, your main profession might not be in sales. We've got uh, Facebook Marketplace. We've got Craigslist. We've got Etsy and all kinds of other ways that we sell things. Proverbs 11.1 one says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So the picture here is, is that of, of a scale that was used in measuring out maybe uh, grain or meat or spices and that, that, that scale has on the other side of it a standardized weight so that when they're level, we know that, that we have this much weight of this product over here. And so, so an unjust weight would be to maybe drill out or, or, or scrape away some of the weight from that standardized weight so that it's lighter, so that we're giving up less. When you're selling something, and especially if you're in sales, and this is not just for the lawyers and timeshare salesmen, okay? Again, Facebook Marketplace... Uh, Craigslist, anything. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But, but a just weight is his delight. He delights. The Lord delights when you sell something with a just weight. Okay? Next, to perform. Um, again, a lot of performers in a lot of different ways. And I think of, I think of uh, Psalm 150. It's one of my favorite passages when we think about performing and music and it applies directly to worship. Uh, but really can apply to performing in music and in shows and in different settings. Um, and I often meditate on this, this passage. As a matter of fact, when we're worshiping on Sunday morning uh, with all of the instruments and the vocals and everything that's going on. Uh, but Psalm 150, verses 3 through 6 says, Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. And, and I get it. It's an old passage. We don't have any lyres up here. Except when Ted's talking about his fishing. Am I now seeking the approval of human beings or of God? Okay. (laughs) Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel. That is a death stare. Uh, Timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We sang that this morning. Singing and instruments and dancing. Every performing that you do, you can do as unto the Lord. And I love that, Psalm 150. When you go to school, it's beyond just acquiring skills and knowledge. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind in an act of worship. When you compete, 
not just for bragging rights. It's not just for pride as unto the Lord. My high school football uh, defensive coordinator, uh, the thing that he just kept saying over and over, I want him on his back. I want him on his back. Hit him so hard his mama feels it, right? It's like, is that very godly? I don't know. Uh, okay. And, but the thing he would follow it with is then you're going to reach out his hand and you're going to help him up so that you can both continue to compete. Followers of Jesus, we should compete with a tenacity and an effort that is unmatched of anyone else that's out there, as well as character and honor that are equally unmatched. Parents of children, of kids, of youth, participating in competitions. It is to be unto the Lord that we spectate and support our children in their activities. Equally important for us to acknowledge that. Our character and our honor should be unmatched with coaches and officials and players and other parents. When you teach, not just raising the next generation of whatever, but considering those that those that you are teaching will serve and counting the impact that you will have on generations to come and having honor in what it is that you're teaching and how you teach it. Discipline, not just because we're tired of the question why, but, and not just because of behavior correction. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And I'm not going to get into the issue of spanking, not spanking. The point that, that, that Proverbs is making, that the Lord is trying to get across, is that it is an act of worship to him when we discipline our children. Compliment with no concern for the recipient's opinion of me or to try to gain any favor with them. But according to Proverbs 16:24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Criticize. We can do it constructively. I believe that in order to provide constructive criticism, there has to be some relationship equity. You can't just pick some stranger and help them to improve in their job or, or whatever it is that you're trying to correct. But, but according to Ephesians 4:29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for, helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And then finally, when we serve, no expectation for anything in return. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And as we hear those examples, we need to understand that that's just a few of the many things that we do and the many things that we say from day to day. Some of those may apply directly to you. Some of them may not. And as you reflect upon yourself and your words and your actions and the why... We would encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to point out the ways that you say and do things and your motivation for them. Turn the page and get back to the ultimate why. In the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. So why do you do and say the things uh, that you do and say? Um, we tend to fall back in that, that deep, dark place uh, of, our, of our evil sin condition. May we turn that page and do everything as unto the Lord. If you've never placed faith in Christ, um, our hope would be that today would be the day. And if not, um, uh, we, we, would, we would ask you to come forward still and talk to the prayer team. If you're not ready to make that decision, we would ask you to come forward and ask questions like, why? Why? And I know the prayer team's saying, not too many why here, okay? If they don't know the answer, they're going to find someone that does. And we would love to answer questions that you might have about salvation, about Christ, about sin, about eternity, heaven, hell, all of those things. 
even if you're not dealing with that decision right now, we want you to come forward if there's something you need prayer for. Because we know in our church family right now, again, there's a lot that a lot of us are dealing with and that we need prayer. And you need to know that, that this prayer team is here to serve you in that way. They want to pray with you. And they want to lead you through that. Pray for you. Pray with you. Pray for you throughout the days ahead. And so we encourage you uh, as we close today to consider coming down for prayer. Uh, Let me pray for us as as we leave this morning. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your son Christ and the redemption that we can have through him. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit move through us as we reflect on the reasons for our words and for our actions. And we ask that you turn our eyes towards Jesus, that everything that we would say, everything that we would do, would be in the name of Jesus, uh, Lord, giving thanks to you through him. Father, we're grateful for this church body. We pray for those that are hurt, that are sick, that are struggling, and that need uh, you in this time, uh, Lord, to remind us that because we have you, that it is well with our soul. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.